Breaks in the Wall, History of East-West Energy Relations. Interview with Frank Bush, Episode 64. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. This week, we speak with Professor Frank Bush. He is the director of the Center for Contemporary History in Potsdam and professor of German and European 20th century history at the University of Potsdam. We have an in-depth discussion about the history of energy relations in the 1970s. This is a formative period for the energy system we see today. In this episode, we discuss how Germany began to see relations with the Soviet Union, or rather, utilizing business as a means to build a bridge where agreement in politics was largely not possible. This rapprochement enabled West Germany to receive Soviet gas while also involving West German steel mills producing the pipes that would later be used to ship the gas from deep inside the Soviet Union to the West. Frank describes the policy of Ostpolitik as a means of rapprochement with Germany and the Soviet Union. But interestingly, he, he also describes the West politique. I haven't heard this before that Moscow had towards the West. So it goes both ways. One of the great joys of doing this podcast is listening to the interview as I edit it, actually. And I can say in this episode, there's so much historical information you haven't heard or read in other places. It makes this episode very special in both understanding the history of energy relations with the Soviet Union and Germany, but also understanding how the energy crisis of the 1970s is shaping our current energy system. So we kind of look at the both historical context in the past and kind of think about the present crisis that we're experiencing now and how how these are connected. It is important to keep in mind that the shifting energy landscape in the 1970s was just as perilous as it is now. With the energy crisis in 1973, and 1979, or we could say those were the peaks with key events. What emerges are relations that are already being built before the crisis hit. So we get into 1960s and have to start even further back to understand how the 1970s unraveled. Frank provides us with a historical review and explains why and how energy and the trade of goods served to bridge this east-west divide. So always kind of keep in mind this iron curtain that was in place and what the role of energy was in helping to divide this, kind of creating a thaw between this East and West. With conflict in the Middle East pushing oil prices up, the Soviet Union emerges as a stable and reliable supplier for Western Europe. On the other hand, it's something else in Eastern Europe. For Eastern Europe, such as countries like Ukraine, uh, even Hungary, they are forced to sacrifice their gas supplies for Western Europe. So sometimes things don't change too much. This episode enables us to trace back some of the present-day relations and structures to justifications in the 1970s as to why energy trade should be expanded or was expanded between the Soviets and the Germans. We also provide context to the Comic-Con countries, Eastern satellites basically, and how industries were divided by country and how the Soviet Union was able to succeed economically because of specializations between the different countries. And just to flag one very important section, make sure you listen closely as we discuss the rising role and realization of 
global interdependencies in the 1970s. This is kind of a key term that I'm, I'm exploring more, and I find it absolutely fascinating and super important to understand. Just as we throw around the word globalization today, the 1970s emerged as a formative period that shaped the global interdependencies of the present-day energy markets. That is the oil market, let's say. A final note, this interview is done for my current role as an Open Society University Network Senior Fellow at Chatham House, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. The funding was generously provided to produce the podcast until the end of 2022. So I've got some great interviews coming up and some amazing in-person interviews, actually, I should say. The intent of the My Energy 2050 podcast is to spread the knowledge about the energy system and how it can assist our transition towards a greener future. And now for this week's episode. I'm here today with Professor Frank Bosch from the Leibniz Center for Contemporary History in Potsdam. Uh, Professor Bush, maybe I, I turn to you for your background and to explain why, why the 1970s are interesting and how does energy come into that? Hello, everybody. So my name is Frank Bush. I'm director of the Center for Contemporary History and professor at the University of Potsdam. Professor for Contemporary History means that I have specialized in the last 15 years on the periods in the decades past 45. And my current, my, in my last book, dealt with the changes in the 1970s. It was called Zeitenwende 1979, so how the times were changing in the late 1970s, in the year 1979, which was a kind of turning point, but it's a book about the decades around. And, and of course, the oil crisis in 1973 and 1979, these two oil crises are a crucial turning point for the world. So what I researched were 10 big turning points in the world and their relation to East and West Germany. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in, in German history, in a global context, in East and West relation. And the oil crisis and energy in general is really important for this perception of history. And then let me go a bit deeper on the East-West uh, relations. In the 1970s, initially the, the crisis, the first crisis was about Middle Eastern oil. But why would that impact East-West relations? So it was a huge uh, impact on the East-West relation, although it didn't start with that. Um, in the movement of the oil crisis in 79, the West became aware that they are completely dependent on oil from the Middle East, and that's quite uncertain whether this oil will flow as probably as it has done so far in the future. And that's why they looked for different kind of alternative resources. One alternative was for looking for oil in the West, so in the US, in Britain, especially near Scotland or in Norway, they tried to find oil, and which was too pricey so far, but now um, with the rising price, it, it came profitable to do so. But there were other alternatives, and this was energy from Russia, oil from Russia. This has started before, in the late 1960s, um, but um, now it became much more important that at least parts of the energy were coming from the East. And so one can conclude um, to this question that this new, um, that the energy crisis led to a bridge over the Iron Curtain, 
but it raised also some tensions within the West and within the East. And the name that comes up often uh, when I, we talk about East-West relations is Willy Brandt. And I, and I was wondering if you could maybe explain his role in, in bridging this East-West divide around the area of energy. Willy Brandt uh, played from the beginning on an important role. He was a major of West Berlin in, in the 1960s. And in this time, he already tried to build bridges over the wall, which was just created when he was a major. So that's the moment when he becomes really famous in the, wall, in the world. And Willy Brandt, when he became foreign minister in 1966, he started um, to develop plans, uh, plans how to get into contact, how to get into official contact uh, with Eastern countries, uh, which were not existing until then. The contacts to the East were uh, so far um, done by um, people from the economy. So in some way, people um, from the industry were replacing the diplomats. And one of the really important group there were those working in the field of energy, of steel, and building pipes for the East. And they were in some way the ambassadors to open up this new policy of Brandt um, called Ostpolitik, politics to the East. So here one can say um, that the policy of Brandt was going hand in hand with the energy diplomacy. So you mentioned about, uh, yeah, the uh, steel makers and the people making the, the pipes as well. Mm -hmm. What was their role in this? Because I, I don't know anything yeah. about this. Yeah, they had played such an important role. There was, until um, the early 1970s, there was only one diplomatic contact to the East, um, and this was the relation to Moscow in 1955. And the so-called Hallstein Doctrine, um, uh, which was the key principle of the foreign policy um, of West Germany, said that no contacts, no contacts are allowed to any kind of country who has official relation to the GDR. And of course, all Comic-Con states had. So there was no, no contact. But instead, people from the steel industry, like Otto Wolf von Amerong, um, which were organized in the Ostausschuss der Deutschen Wirtschaft, the Eastern Committee for the German Industry, which had an official role, they traveled to Eastern countries like Poland and so on from the uh, late 1950s on. And these were the people who made already pipe deals in 1958, building pipes in West Germany, selling them for oil pipelines in the East. So one can say that the roots of those famous pipelines, which are discussed nowadays uh, in the uh, time of the Russian war, uh, the roots of these pipelines, they are in 58 when big deals were done with the West German industry and the Soviet Union. And so, so actually, because from what I know from the gas sector, and I think this was later in the, yeah, this was late in the late 1960s, early 1970s, when they, when they agreed to build the gas pipeline to, to Germany and to Austria, uh, th there would be a barter system with German pipes then. So you're actually saying then that this, this relationship and commercial relationship with the pipes predates much of this gas discussion, but goes to the 1950s. Yes, indeed. Uh -huh. But um, 
disease business, big business was starting, it was running, but it was stopped in 1962. The United States, um, they said that the um, steel pipes um, were part of a high technology which are important for the Soviet military because they could deliver oil for the army if there is some kind of invasion of the Soviet army. And so they forbid within the NATO and the so-called COCOM list, which prohibited such goods, um, to sell such goods to the socialist countries. So um, they stopped these big buy. And, and this is really a hard cut for um, the German industry. Adenauer followed this. Um, Italy didn't, for example. Great Britain also delivered. Um, but uh, so until 19... 67 until the detente is starting and still the relation between east and west in general become more relaxed also concerning the u.s um there is this ban for selling pipes and in 67 the united states are changing their position and finally it's possible to sell those pipes and now these big deals are developing mm -hmm. and why, why did the u.s change their position um Actually, both sides changed their positions. Um, the Soviet Union changed their position. They opened up because I talked already about the East politic, the Ost politic of Brandt, but there was also a West politic of Moscow. So they opened up, got, lo were looking for different reasons for closer context to the West to improve their industry. And there's another problem. Um, uh, the China is, has some troubles with the Soviet Union. There's pressure at the border. And actually, so both China and the Soviet Union are looking for context to the West in uh, their quarrel. Yeah, away from each other. Away from the Because there was tension, rising yes. tension between them. Ri rising, increasing mm -hmm. tension. Even some uh, military conflict at the Chinese and Soviet uh, border in 1969 and 70. Okay. So, so maybe to place this in context then, so when we think about present day, it's, it's much about this discussion about gas, kind of, I would mm -hmm. say, first, and then second part is oil. But really the relationship began with this east-west, will be very broad here, uh, was around oil in the 1960s. Yes, and generally gas was not so important in the 50s, 60s. So the, the whole boom of the economy in the 50s and 60s was based on oil. Oil was the clean, cheap, uh, energy um, and everybody thought that is the future until the early 1970s and the first pipelines were built for oil and also in 1968 when the first oil from the Soviet Union was coming to Austria was coming to Italy and finally also to Germany just a few days after the Prague reforms were um, yeah, brutally finished um, by the Warsaw Pact and um, so this uh, was oil, but then also gas uh, was becoming more important. And in the late 1970s, deals for pipelines were made. Germany built the pipeline, and because there was no, not that much hard currency uh, within the Soviet Union, uh, there was this um, exchange uh, where the ex uh, what the plan was to exchange energy um, against the steel pipelines from the West. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, we've spoken a lot about uh, M Moscow relations with, with the West, I guess. But, and we mentioned Willy Brandt. But what was the relationship between East Germany and West Germany? And what was the role of these, these oil, oil resources or mm -hmm. gas resources 
uh, in, in this relationship between yeah. East Germany and West Germany. There was no, no kind of official contact between East and West in these days. There was no political letter answered or officially or anything like that. There were just relations via businessmen. And the whole Ostpolitik, the first contacts to the East, were all going from Bonn, from the capital of West Germany in these days, to Moscow. And also the Ostpolitik, the first contracts, were discussed with Moscow, not with East Germany. But still, the trade of steel was also one of the most important economic bridges between East and West, so there was a certain relation. But um, East Germany was always a problem when these first energy deals were, were made, also in the 1970s, because it was always checked what is the status of East Germany. So each kind of contact internationally was checked whether um, this has to do something with the German reunification or would, could it uh, support East Germany. So East Germany was more a problem than a contact in this context. Mm -hmm. I, th I think it's just really important to remember that still. Uh, I, I know when I I'm teaching my students, uh, understanding this divide, this iron curtain that was in place, and then comparing it to Europe nowadays, it's just dramatically different. And, and so it's, it's good to remember that, that, yeah, there was a split, unfortunately, during this time. But things began, maybe, maybe we'll move more into the 1970s. And why was, because now we have the big topic of Russian gas, But why in the 1970s was gas seen as an important resource? There was this famous report of the Club of Rome in 1972, the limit of growth. And the perception also before the oil crisis was that in a few decades there will be no oil. Uh, and there was the perception that gas reserves were a bit longer, that there was an increasing awareness of environmental questions in the early 70s, not only in West Germany, also in other states like the US. And uh, gas was seen as something which is cleaner. Um, and, and also, um, there was a plan to have different kind of energies. So nuclear power was one new element which was increasing uh, after the oil crisis in 73. So this is a takeoff on nuclear power where most of the power plants are built in the following years or at least planned. And um, so the, um, there was a belief that we, the people uh, on societies need a mixture of different kind of energy. And it's important to say that those big deals, uh, pipelines against gas, were starting before 73. Before the oil crisis, there was already the awareness that um, there's people that states are dependent. Also, the Six-Day War in 1967 in Israel was where really brief sanction of a f just a few weeks came up. Um, was in some way giving the awareness that um, it, oil could be used as a weapon, and. Gas was something new, which was found in different kind of um, countries, in the Netherlands, in Algeria. But in some way, the Soviet Union in the 1970s was seen as a reliable partner, and it was. So the Soviet Union, when the uh, delivery started in 73, um, did deliver quite uh, constantly um, 
and bills in the trade were paid regularly. So um, there were good, expect, uh, good experiences. And the diplomats in the files tell that the Soviet Union was seen as more reliable than Arab states. How, how was gas? Was gas seen as this diplomatic tool to, to bridge this east-west divide? Or was it seen uh, just maybe, maybe just, well, we need more energy resources, so let's go with it? It was both. So it was starting as a business. So people wanted to make money in the rural area, and that's what they did. Um, but at the same time, it was uh, something which was supported by the politics and would not have been possible without the political support also already in the 1960s. It was going ahead of the Ostpolitik, so the first big contract was signed in early 1970 before the contracts of the Eastern politics were signed. Um, but it was also seen as something which will bridge crisis. So the, there are many talks between the political leaders in East and West which say that even in conflicts, we've got this bridge over the Iron uh, Curtain, which will last, and that's one quote, um, um, which will last for 70 years. And actually, so, so, uh, these uh, uh, up to 50 years. 50. So, so, sorry, Krush sorry, I'm just Brezhnev. sorry. 50 years, it was Brezhnev said, and, and exactly those 50 years are over now. So, yeah. Yeah. so, so just so you know, because I was just yeah. finishing an article the past few weeks, yeah. I took, took your writing yeah. with Brezhnev putting that 50 years and I stuck it in my article. Of course, I no, cited thanks. you, so yeah, so no problem. Nice. <laughs> but but it's amazing how he said for the next thirty to fifty and fifty years, right? Mm. And fifty years right on the mark, basically, uh, the bridge the bridge stops. Um, and so um, I I don't maybe want to bring us to, but but let's let's go with modern day just a minute though. Is what is the symbolism then, even from this historical? perspective about the role of gas east and west about the stopping of gas flows between between germany and russia of course that this is a bridge which was teared down and it was surprising it's actually it's it's not surprising if we see it from a ukrainian perspective because from early on even in 1973 when the whole thing was starting um the ukraine had to suffer because the Soviet Union was not able to deliver so much gas, and, and so they stopped or reduced uh, resources for the Ukraine um, to deliver to the West. And uh, we all know those famous examples in 2006-8 when, when the uh, gas delivery to the Ukraine was stopped to put pressure on the regime. And um, so... In this perspective, this is not surprising, but from the Western perspective, it's quite unusual because, as I said, the Soviet Union and later on Russia were, were quite reliable, um, which one could not expect because there has been so many tensions and crises. Uh, just like to remember in 79 when the Soviet Union was invading Afghanistan and a new Cold War, as it was called came up there was big sanctions of the united states also concerning poland after uh, december 81 when the martial law uh, was coming up um, and the sanctions were coming up of the united states one could think why didn't they use oil as a weapon in this new cold war but they didn't so um, in some way this the soviet union um 
did not use this kind of energy weapon so far, but now they do. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad you brought the Ukrainian perspective. And maybe we could even bring up this Eastern European or Comic-Con perspective, uh, the satellites of the uh, Soviet, former Soviet Union. And from their perspective, if, if I can ask you this, how did they perceive uh, reliance on Soviet gas and Soviet oil um, from their perspective, like mm. the Ukrainians? Because, for example, their needs were not necessarily met, but rather maybe the gas was diverted to meet the demands in the West. Mm. In general, the Comic-Con states, the states in the socialist East, they profited, of course, from the rather cheap energy from the Soviet Union. And they still profited after the oil crisis in 73, when many developing countries of the South got real problems. And we have to keep this in mind. So, so not the West was hit by the oil crisis in 73 and 79. States in Africa who just tried to build up industry, they were the real victims of the increasing crisis because they were not able to pay uh, energy anymore and the debt crisis in many parts of the world and especially in the poor countries uh, was coming up then. So let's get back to, to the Socialist <laughs> East. Um, after 73, um, the prices were rising a little bit in the socialist countries, but not that much. So they profited because they got the five-year planning and the prices were going up a bit later. But after um, 79, when the prices were getting up once again, and the Soviet Union decided to sell more gas, and especially gas, also oil, but uh, gas to the West. Um, this led to shortages um, in the oil delivery and gas delivery um, in socialist countries. And this was a real problem because now they realized that they are depending on the Soviet Union, on the power, on the energy power of the Soviet Union, and um, they had to look for alternatives. And it's quite striking that some countries who had their own energy, like Poland with coal, could stay a bit more independent, which has consequences also for independent movements and so on. Also mm -hmm. Romania mm -hmm. uh, was a country with some uh, kind of energy resources. But other countries like East Germany really got into problems um, because they were um, they had a um, petroleum and chemical industry selling the cheap oil transformed uh, to petrol to the West. And this business was in some way breaking down. And so the industry in the GR suffered. And what they had to do was to um, get back to brown coal. Um, and actually, brown coal was something which they had not in mind to um, produce it that much in the future. But now in the 1980s, they had. And this had big consequences too, also for the environment, um, also for the whole um, atmosphere. There was, a coming, there was a kind of environmental movement. There was criticism about the brown coal. And um, countries like Poland, countries like the GRR, had huge debts to, due to this specific constellation in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And if I may add a last point. Yes, please, so, please. Uh -huh. Because in the mid-1980s, the oil prices are going down again. So mm -hmm. the West is really happy and this is really important for the whole economy. Uh, let's think of 
um, politicians like Helmut Kohl, the Christian Democrat, or Margaret Thatcher, uh, the conservative in Britain. That's why they succeeded in the late 1980s, because they were so lucky that the oil prices were going down, inflation was going down, and, and so they uh, were, were, could win elections and so on, yeah, no, and also run the ring, so they were on the right side. But in the socialist countries, the prices were not going down as quickly as in the West, which was market-driven, so prices changed quite quickly, but they had the prices of the um, planned economy and so they they had to pay higher prices uh, for a longer time so things even got worse due to this so some of the assumptions around the collapse of the soviet union are yeah actually a lot of money was going into the energy sector to try to modernize it but but the i don't say they but let's just say they they say that one of the reasons for the collapse of the soviet union was that because economically it was just going down it couldn't compete with the west anymore and from an american perspective they would say because it was military spending but but maybe energy the price of energy actually underlies some of this economic problem in the soviet union rather than in the west yes so if we discuss the reason why the soviet union failed um energy is a key to this so the um the big energy deals they in in some way help to survive in the early 80s and and they um maybe um were responsible that the soviet union had a few years more but on the other way around since 1805 the crisis increased in the soviet union also in other socialist streets due to energy question and that's why i would argue that energy uh, has to be part of all kind of historical writing usually it's just a brief footnote if you look on typical stories of the history of Europe, you will find energy question considering the oil crisis in 73, but that's it. But if we discuss the uh, uh, downfall and the decline of the Soviet Union and the Socialist East, I think energy plays a much more crucial role. Mm -hmm. Be because the, yeah, the Soviet Union and then the East was built with these energy relations. Actually, yeah, of course. And they were lying on the prices of the world market. And that's the interesting thing, because usually we think about Cold War, which was divided, which had an iron curtain. But um, the oil crisis is one of the most important examples for that what we call nowadays globalization. So there was this globalization which was going across East and West, bridging East and West, leading into trouble between the West, between the East, and across the Iron Curtain. So the globalization is like, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, like going around everywhere and, and changing um, the system of the Cold War. Mm -hmm. And from the 1970s, I mean, at the beginning, you, you say how and why it's so important to look at the 1970s from a historical point of view. But this was really the beginning and the start of this interdependencies, uh, global interdependencies, regional, we could say maybe European, um, and yeah, European interdependencies, and then growing to be global interdependencies in the field of oil and then gas. Yes. So there's on the factual level, there's a new kind of interdependency, a new kind of cooperation, trade is increasing and so on. But it's not only a factual thing. So the there's a perception coming up that states are interdependent. And the word interdependency is a new buzzword of the 1970s. It's perception, like globalization in the 1990s. It's a new word which is coming up 
and it's changing the political action. So these are not neutral words, but when you use this word interdependency, it leads to new kinds of political meetings like the G7, which is coming up in the 1970s. Politicians like Helmut Schmidt, the Chancellor of Germany, doing world politics, always flying around the world, meeting everybody and, and regularly and trying to get into contact with everybody to organize those crises, world crises, world economic crises are now seen everywhere and indeed. So there are things like the revolution in Iran, which has huge consequences for all states in the world because there is for a brief time the oil delivery of a big oil seller, Iran, uh, which is falling out. And once again, prices are going up. And this mixed uh, the whole relationship. So concerning with Germany, Libya, Gaddafi's Libya of a terrorist-supporting dictator becomes the biggest oil supplier in 1980. And, and it remains an important oil supplier in the 1980s, although the United States are putting sanctions and, and even bombing um, yeah. Libya in 86 and, and a few years later once again. So the relationship are hugely influenced by these oil supplies. To follow up, we, we talked about interdependencies. One area I want to go back to before we finish is the Comic-Con countries. And maybe you could give some context about the importance of this economic relationship uh, between the countries, why it came about, and the perceived benefits of cooperating in this economic area. Yes. So the Comic-Con countries were organized in an exchange system. So it was planned what kind of country was doing what, what is getting something from another country. And, and so there was a very really big interdependency within the Comic-Con countries. To take an example of computer building, so one country was responsible for the software, the another one for the hardware, and, and so the other one was building printer. And... So there was this kind of fixed network. And if something was not working, there was a problem. And that's the problem with the energy supply that, that we have got some states with a big, huge petroleum industry, like in the GR in a town called Schwedt, which is directly at the Polish border, where the pipeline is coming up and they need the direct oil from the friendship pipeline, <laughs> as it's called, yes. uh, from the Soviet Union. And this is not working then anymore. But it's not only a problem within the Eastern countries, it's also a problem within the Western countries, if I may add this point. Mm -hmm. Because the, uh, the United States, they put a lot of times pressure on West Germany because they say Germany, West Germany is becoming too dependent on Soviet oil and later on on Russian oil. Uh, they started warning them in '69 when the first pipes were built and Germany is saying, oh, we've got only 20%, so it's not a problem. And gas was not so important in these days, so it was not really a problem. Once again, after the Soviet invasion in Afghanistan, the biggest gas deal so far, three times bigger than before, was done by the West Germany the Germans in the early 1980s, in a time when Ronald Reagan was driving sanctions against the Soviet Union on wheat and so on. And, and, but the Germans decided, no, we can do it. Um, it's just one third of <laughs> our gas supply. And once again, the United States are really warning, no, you can't, you shouldn't do it. We will deliver you new American power plants. Uh, we will deliver you 
um, gas and whatever. But um, with Germany, we became much more self-confident, more independent from the West and did not follow the warning. And so we have got a conflict within the West too, which sounds quite familiar nowadays when yes. once again the United States yes. had been warning uh, the West German government that you are too dependent on oil from the e uh, gas from the east. Mm -hmm. I, uh, maybe now the government realizes this too. So, right, and my, my one last question, because often I, I speak to people involved in policy making or people involved in, in business, but you as a historian having this histor historical perspective, What is the role of history and the history of, say, energy um, to understand and inform current policy making? Hmm. Maybe there's a couple of questions there. Yeah, it's it's always a big question whether history is repeating. Can mm -hmm. we learn from something from history or not, and so on? So I would say, uh, in general, history is not repeating, but we can learn from history, and it's not the same way things are happening. But uh, we can get warnings from history. And I think the warnings are quite clear in this case because there had been these problems um, concerning um, energy delivery for Eastern countries, also for the Ukraine, much more before. There had been many warnings in history, as mentioned, um, before. Um, but politic politicians were not reacting on, on this. And um, so we can see what, Yeah, had happened how decisions were made despite of these warnings. And this might be something which is interesting for politics nowadays. But also dealing with oil crisis is interesting. So, And, and that's what, what I also wrote in many articles in newspapers or often said in interviews that what can we learn nowadays from the way people dealt with the energy prices in 73? Of course, things were different. But now we have got similar measures like cooling down the temperature right now in our room it's something like uh, 19 degrees it's quite cold yes. here uh, in public buildings like in universities and uh, or um, saving energy in the christmas time it's exactly what we are doing now so not that many lights and so on this is quite symbolic but uh, it brings people um, back in mind and that's something what the energy crisis in the 1970 did that we learned something about energy, that, that energy is not just there, that it's complicated to bring energy from one point to another, that it's a highly political thing, and that's a new thing about energy in the 1970s too, that energy was seen as something which is political. <laughs> and, 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 and here we are once again in our times. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Okay, thank you very much, Frank, for the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We produce the My Energy 2050 podcast to learn about cutting-edge research and the people building our clean energy system. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please share it. The more we spread our message of the ease of an energy transition, the faster we can make it. You can follow us on LinkedIn, where we are the most active on the My Energy 2050 webpage, or on Twitter and Facebook. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.